Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, man, it's going fantastic. I tried to think of something witty, couldn't. Yeah, it's gone. We, should, we should work. We should have a session where we just write puns and yeah. jokes for the intro. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But yeah. anyways, today we want to talk about prisons, basically, um, or what that sort of system, how we use, what replaces prisons in a libertarian society, in libertopia. Because, um, right. you know, I was starting to think about it. My stepdad asked me specifically, well, we were talking about Paul Bernardo, and it's like, okay, we're spending, you know, tons of money to keep this guy in jail, um, right. taxpayer dollars to keep this criminal alive. He's in favor of capital punishment. And I said, well, no, I'm still not in favor of killing someone um, personally. But so then it's like, okay, well, what do we do then in in Libertopia? And so what I the conclusion I kind of came to on the fly was that, well, if everything's private property, Paul Bernardo would have his private property and he just wouldn't be able to leave. No one would want to engage with him at all. Um, So it would basically be like perpetual house arrest. Um, and then it's like, well, with the internet, what does that allow or disallow? So I really haven't formulated it at all, but that was kind of what I naturally came to. So I'd love to hear, uh, your thoughts on prisons generally and for like the most egregious offender. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we can lump this under the heading maybe of justice. What is the libertarian conception of justice? Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, this is a great topic. It's, it's, uh, it's a big one, so I'm trying to figure out where to start here. But basically, the, the way that uh, I look at justice anyways, and I won't speak like I'm the libertarian pope here or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I'll just tell you how I think of it. And, and, you know, I'm sure there are libertarians who would disagree with me on some of this. But if, if I cause harm in the world, and, and so the li- libertarian theory is all around, well, uh, self-ownership, right? And what does ownership mean? It means that I'm fully, that, that I control resources, I control my body, I control the property that I have appropriated in nature, that I've uh, homesteaded or that, that I've made my own um, or that I've, uh, I've traded with. And I, I can't infringe on someone else's property, on their body, on their, on their, or by extension, their property, right? And so if I do damages in some way by infringing the those rights, um, well, I have to own that. I have to own both. So I get to own the positive things of what I do with my property, but I also have to own, I guess, in some sense, the consequences of the negative or the negative things of what I do. And so if I harm someone, uh, you know, first of all, I think a just proper justice is uh, restoring that person to wholeness in some way, right? And so compensating them for the damages or, um, restoring their property plus interest or something like that for the time that it took to restore the property. And um, that would be ideal, right? And so currently our justice system certainly doesn't do that. Uh, you know, maybe the civil side, uh, you get a little bit of that, but on the criminal side, it's all about punishment and imprisonment, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it it's not clear how that does anything for the victim of the crime. Like it, it doesn't restore them to wholeness in any way. There's no obligation on, on the criminal's part. Like they're not in prison trying to figure out how they're going to make amends and make things right with this person. The, the ruling has nothing to do with that. The judge has, you know, their ruling is simply about, well, how many lashes or how much time do you get in that, in that prison? And it, it seems to be based on punishment theory or something like that, that, um, 
this is an appropriate amount of discomfort to inflict on you. And also mixed in with that is we have to keep you separated from society um, or, you know, for, for society's safety until you can show that you're, that you're not going to reoffend. And of course, most people do reoffend. And so yeah. <laughs> how is that any kind of uh, justification? So uh, the victim gets punished, the criminal gets punished, but, and the taxpayer gets punished in this sort of system. And it's hard to see where the justice is. Like, how is it that um, the victim is in any way restored to wholeness? And how is it that we, as the community, can trust that this person who violated property rights in the most egregious way um, with malicious intent is not going to do the same thing when he's released into uh, back into after uh, some arbitrary number right. of years. Right. And so those are the problems that I would try to, to solve in in a libertarian justice. Right. And so the thing that actually switched me over from being kind of an, an objectivist minarchist to full on ANCAP was uh, actually one of Stefan Molyneux's very first episodes or articles that he wrote. It was called Cage the Devils. And I think, you know, maybe I'll, I'll post it, uh, post a link below. Um, he wrote it on Lou Rockwell and he describes, you know, a private property society, right? One where everything is kind of privately owned. The streets are, are privately owned. Um, and and uh, in, in that society, you want a third party underwriting your uh, your behavior in that society, right? So, so for example, you couldn't go... You, if you went in, just went into a grocery store to buy a loaf of bread or something like that, well, what's you, you would want a third party arb, ready to arbitrate any disputes that you might have. Like if the store owner claims that you stole the bread or you claim the store owner ripped you off and uh, didn't give you change back or something like that. And so everyone would be probably subscribing to something like an insurance company or a, a dispute resolution organization that would be tasked with ensuring that that disputes would be arbitrated and in fact one would could imagine that that you wouldn't even be able to rent property buy property in a in a city where the city is privately owned because you would have to sign contracts with the city owners about what you can and can't do in that community uh you you um you couldn't drive on roads you couldn't go into stores without having proof or or some kind of evidence that you are backed by one of these insurance companies or dispute resolution organizations, which would essentially be doing what government is supposed to do right now, but does very inefficiently and badly, right? Okay, so uh, now if I'm going to commit a crime, obviously I'm violating the terms that I have with my dispute resolution organization or insurance company. Just like if I violate a crime now, they're, they're essentially saying I'm violating, you know, I, it's a crime against the state more than it is even against the victim, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm violating some social contract I have with the state. And so they're going to do what they're going to do. Now, obviously, a private company would um, have every incentive to try to get compensation and try to restore the victim uh to justice because that's what the market would demand a market would demand look at i'm the victim of a crime i want these insurance companies to pay me out right it's just like a hit and run accident or a car crash that that's why we have insurance and that's what their job is to do is to restore me to wholeness yeah um, so it's like if you get hit by a car the car insurance will pay you but if you get stabbed you right. don't get anything right it's right. better to be hit by a car than to be stabbed because exactly. someone right. is is underwriting the actions of yeah, the 
of the our, car owner. Our property is insured, but not so much our, ourselves, right? Mm. Some of our property, like our vehicle, you know, if a car crashed through my house right now, I'm sure that somehow insurance would pay that out, right? And I'd mm. be at least somewhat restored to wholeness. Um, so, so if I am violating a contract, there's going to be terms with these dispute resolution organizations on what would happen in a, if I violated their contract and how I would get back in their good graces again, right? So if I say shoplifted or something like that, well, obviously they're going to require that I maybe repay the store owner, maybe that I go to counseling or something like that, or they're, they're going to really want it. They're, they're going to be invested in trying to understand why I shoplifted and not, and if, if coverage is going to continue, how that's going to stop again. Right. And so obviously my rates are probably going to go up if I commit a crime. Um, and you know, they're, they're probably going to broadcast it to other dispute resolution organizations that, yeah, this guy committed a crime. We found him guilty in in our judicial tribunal or whatever. Which, and like at first glance or at first listen, that sounds awful and like it wouldn't work, but that's exactly what happens with car insurance. If I speed, right. All the insurance people know if I get in a bunch of accidents, my rates go up and I can't drive. And so it's like driving is this like sub example where these things happen already and it's taken for granted. And it's right. a it's a right or a privilege that can be denied, basically. Um, yeah. And, and if you think about it, if you were if you decided you wanted to start your own business as a dispute resolution organization, um, it, and you kept secrets. Like if you tried to protect criminals in some way and didn't let other people know about it, well, you would lose your business very quickly. People wouldn't go to you. You'd be blackmailed or, or blackballed and um, ostracized, right? So, so you know, everyone would have the incentive to be transparent um, so that they their business wouldn't suffer. Um, so now let's think about a more serious crime. You know, someone commits a violent act or something like that, and it's egregious. Um, okay, well, now we have have to restore the victim in some way, and, and these dispute resolution organizations are How do you restore a, a murder victim? Right, well, that, that's a good question. So there's, there's obviously family members um, that need to be restored. If, if, if nothing else we need to ensure that you're never going to murder again before we let you just roam the streets and do things. Right. So, mm. so, um, one could imagine a scenario where, where you, um, okay, th this dispute resolution organization says, okay, you need to show up to this prison or this rehabilitation facility where you're going to be confined, or we're, we're going to totally remove coverage from you. And what that means is, you're not you're no longer going to be able to <laughs> drive on the streets you're no longer going to be able to rent property you're no longer going to be able to go to a store and buy bread you're going to be cut off from civilization you're you're going to end up in the wilderness um on the outs outside the wall of civilization and you're you're not going to be able to interact and by the way we're going to have uh, drones monitoring you or whatever to make sure that you don't come back because it, you know our, we want to keep people safe and so if you're a violent offender but there's a way around this fella uh, there's a way for you to get redemption here and that is you report to this uh, detention facility and you're going to work on restoring justice and you're going to go through intensive therapy and you're going to go through whatever you know the marketplace and the best ideas for in, like we need to ensure this person, if they have any any uh, way to redeem themselves, are are going to be able to interact in society safely again, and that we can trust them somehow. And so, 
eventually there's going to be something like probation where they're very closely monitored and, and they're, they're going to be somewhat restricted. Like they're not going to be able to go everywhere uh, because, you know, there's probably going to be certain levels of trustworthiness on your, on your. Um, and it's basically pro- the, like the enforcement officers from these insurance underwriters that would follow this guy and, and like, you know, be stationed at his door and make sure uh, you know, he's following the rules. Well, that, that might be something what like probation looks like. Right. But I mean, just imagine that, you know, how are you going to get on a highway, right? Um, like a private highway, you're going to have to have some sort of, um, pass. And if that pass isn't connected to some sort of dispute resolution organization, you're not going to have access to the highways. So if you say, say you, you decide, well, I'm just going to cut my contract off with this DRO. Well, now you're basically sending you to yourself to the wilderness. Like you're, you're not going to be able to operate in society at all. You're not even going to be able to stay in your house if you're in a city, because listen, there, you have an implicit contract with the city as well, right? The city owners, uh, you, you have an explicit contract more than likely that if you violate a crime, you know, you have to report for dispute resolution, uh, or, or you get punted, right? And so you lose your house, you lose your property, you lose, and, and you're, you're on the outskirts. So, so, you know, in that, in this Libertopia idea that Molyneux portrays, and this is his idea that I'm basically trying to summarize, mm-hmm. um, what you end up with is essentially voluntary detention, right? People, if you, even if you murder, would rather submit for de- to be detained in a secure facility and locked up than they would be on the outskirts of society, never being able to buy anything from anyone. Um, you know, that they, they would be, yeah. So, and, and constantly monitored more than likely. Right. So, uh, so yeah, if, if you were to leave your house in a probationary situation, you know, uh, the, all the owners of the road, the city owners, everyone has a vested interest in reporting your whereabouts to the dispute resolution organization. So the degree to which you use any form of transaction or go on a freeway or, you know, sign in anywhere, you are essentially sending information about your whereabouts to your dispute. So you wouldn't necessarily need armed guards escorting everywhere. But so that sounds quite like a surveillance state, but it's not a state, but it's a surveillance society. Um, which would at seems at odds with Libertopia. Well, it, it's something that you voluntarily submitted to, right? Like you don't have any rights to go into a store or to rent property. Like there's no inherent right for you to have entitle you to any of these things. And, and I guess and so, if there was a city that didn't have as much, you know, records and that stuff, that model would be available. And, and if right. there's still no crime and if there's still, if it's still a functioning society, then you could choose one sure. that has less uh, monitoring, active yeah. monitoring, let's say. <clears throat> yeah, and, and and look, if you're a stand-up member that was never had any, I mean, you're going to be pretty free to travel wherever you want and not have any concerns and not have to check in and not be surveilled or anything like that. It's just because people aren't going to want surveillance, right? They're not going to want constant surveillance on themselves. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to have very explicit contracts with their dispute resolution organization about privacy and when that privacy can and can't be breached. And if a a dispute resolution organization is violating your privacy by tracking your every move, well, 
they're going to lose business and they're going to go out of out of business right so, and so that, where, that doesn't happen with government right now like they can track your every move they're never going to go out of business so it, so there's a few like it, it's along the line of you know becoming a criminal let's say that is right. is wary so like if they start thinking you're breaking a law or or you're at risk or, or it's like uh you know you beat someone up or something there was a just a fight and and you know fights happen even in in any situation you know right but also i'm wondering okay how long will this process take i go do i have three weeks i can kill as many people as i want before you know the process before they can find me or um you know before they have means to prove that they can come into my property right. that i have by contract yeah and so i want you to notice here that any concerns you have are are normal right and they're, they're going to be concerns that any customer would have and so if you were an entrepreneur here and you wanted to solve these problems how would you solve them if you were a dispute resolution organization right yeah I don't so know. You, you, but... I mean, I could think of a few ways. I would probably have in the contract. The contracts would be very uh, in depth, right? And and they would cover these contingencies. So so it might be like, okay, if you're suspected of a crime, these things are going to be removed from you. Like the like you're going to be un, under immediate detention or arrest. You're going to have to, you know, our our security agents are going to come and you're going to be arrested if you refuse to to submit to arrest you will be forcibly removed your your coverage will be removed and you'll be put out on an ice flow in the wilderness or whatever and and that's it see you later like well, have, so yeah where is it. the if everything is private property where does do these people go yeah well they they go to uh you know you might have to put them out on an ice flow right or maybe eject well, them into space or something i don't well, know well that's not a good uh, that's like not a good answer because like this is literally like where do we put paul bernardo right like sure if he refuses to go to the prison system to get rehabilitated if yeah. he can't be on if he loses his right to his own like i would have assumed he'd retain his own property sure so even though the city has a contract that he broke like he'd just be isolated within his house but if you're saying you know maybe yeah. that's not even the case if all property is private, what do we do with these people? We'd end up just having them in a prison still. Like, yeah, yeah. And who pays for that? The dispute? Well, again, like that seems very much just in line with what's yes. going on now then. So, so I mean, again, the, these are things that, that can be paid for easily, right? So first of all, if, if you're subscribing to a dispute resolution organization, um, you know, you're, you're paying a fee annually or monthly or whatever for that service. I mean, it's not cheap. And part of that fee is probably going to go to um, pay for detention centers. Now, obviously, uh, you want to minimize detention if you can, because it's not very economically productive to, to pay for someone to have a life sentence, a country club life for the next 30 years until they die or whatever. So you're going to try to find more efficient ways to, to <clears throat> protect the community, to rehabilitate the, the, the criminal and to restore the victim to wholeness again. Um, but that's exactly why you kind of want a market of these companies trying to figure out the best way to do that. And, and I suspect that a lot of it would focus more on prevention, right? Uh, you know, we know yes. that criminality emerges primarily from early childhood. So, you know, if you're, a, if you're a young couple and you start thinking about starting a family, 
shopping around for a dispute resolution organization that's going to um, that's going to ensure your behavior in society. Uh, you know, the, the ones that might be the cheapest are the ones that, you know, I, I go back to um, thinking about this model of, of firefighting I saw when I was in Tanzania, where it was a complete free for all. There was no regulation and it was just a bustling free market. And what what we saw fire there was prevention a, was so was fire prevention was was a, a big focus. Right. And so you didn't. So when you were shopping around for a fire protection agency in Tanzania, you might pick the one with the lowest rates. And the and I could give you a lower rate if you submit to uh, kind of random inspections where I go in and check to make sure that you're following uh, fire safety code or something like that or, or, or the safety guidelines that I've laid out in this syllabus I give you or something, right? And so one could imagine something similar. If, if I want cheap dispute resolution organization, I'm going to submit to, you know, maybe having a counselor come in every now and then and chat with the family and chat with the kids and see how things are going and see if I'm raising them in a peaceful environment. And, and when I guess even for adults as well, right? Like, you know, basically I think everyone would benefit from some amount of counseling or psychotherapy to help them work through their own stuff. And so if you're seeing a counselor every month or every, you know, twice a year, because that makes your rate lower then that also would benefit you and you can kind of have someone that you can be really honest with about what you're thinking about and, and monitor that accordingly. Listeners to this podcast get a one week free trial to the warrior path. So sign up now. The details are below. I was coming off a stint in management uh, when I signed up for the warrior path and I was pretty soft. I'm not going to lie to you, David. <laughs> I was uh, out of shape. I was huffing. And I had to come back to the floor, kick in doors, hump hose, fight fire, and I needed to get into shape. And Chad Kirkham at the Warrior Path definitely got me into shape. Uh, you know, I've, I've never felt better, to be honest. And he had an app that tracked the progress. I sent videos to him. Uh, it, was, it was a really slick application, actually. I, I would send videos. He'd correct my form, send me little tips and, and videos. And... Uh, and whenever whenever I needed, he was available. And I'll tell you, I I put on I think about fifty percent on all my personal records in about a two month period uh, working with the Warrior Path. Right, and and so I think that that we are going to have much greater incentives to be great parents. Um, uh, and I think this kind of system incentivizes great parenting, right? And, and it avoids a lot of the pitfalls of um, th- that we see right now where, you know, parents can basically raise their kids however they want and their kids turn out to be criminals and drug addicts and everything else and are drains on society. Well, wouldn't it be great if, if they were incentivized to prevent that? Um, and the way that they were incentivized was it's going to be cheaper for you to maneuver around the society if you are a great parent, right? Uh, whereas if you're a shitty parent, it might be a little bit more expensive for you, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think don't know. over time it's going to trend. This kind of stuff makes me feel, it makes me feel in, like that we're trending libertopia away from a utopia and more towards a dystopia, right? Uh, like I, where everything's being monitored, you have to march to the right rule, who determines what a good parent is, who's right. the expert that distributes their information to these de, um, 
dis uh, dispute resolution organizations, right? Like that yeah. isn't a world I'd want to live in. I don't think. Yeah, maybe not. But but I mean, I think the beauty here is that that you would be free to um, create a community or a world where you would want to live, right? Where um, where people wouldn't have to have any responsibility to anyone, right? And and you know, you could see how how that would turn out. Um, I, and again, look, I, I, what I'm what I'm doing here is essentially what an abolitionist. Like, I, I recognize that I sound like an abolitionist 150 years ago talking about how uh, cotton is going to be harvested by autonomous machines. And so we don't need slaves. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of things you can pick apart with that. Well, how do you know? And how's it going to how's this going to work? Or that can work. And, and the, the honest answer is, I don't know. Right. So. So, yeah, I, I brought this up because I, I read an article that explained how it might work, that started to explain to me how something might work in a stateless society, right? Now let's bring it back to the real world for a second and what we can do right now in Canada to improve justice. Um, and that is again, to, to think about these principles of restorative justice, the idea that, that justice ought to be restoring the victim to wholeness, that, that ought to be the focus and on protecting the community from a predator or something like that. And well, so- and, and also just if we're not arresting people for peaceful crimes like drugs and, and a ton of other stuff, we at one just have a way smaller prison population to begin with. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so, uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I've heard some, I, I've sat in on a few restorative justice uh, committees, right? And I, I think there's something powerful to be had in some of the, like in some First Nations communities, they use this restorative justice idea. And it sounds kind of namby-pamby at, at first. You know, I know conservatives typically are, are love the punitive model of, you know, it's kind of like revenge porn or something like that to punish someone who has done wrong and like, yeah, give it to them hard and that'll teach yeah. them. Well, yeah, okay, that doesn't work though, right? Because you, you've just made them har more hardened criminals and you've entrenched yeah. them in that, right? So <clears throat> this one story I heard was up in Fort Chip, um, there, which is a, a First Nations community in northern Alberta. There was a young guy, I think 14 or 15, was getting into a lot of trouble in the community. <clears throat> and I think he had, he had um, bro broken into a, the general store or something like that, stolen a bunch of stuff and ransacked it and they caught him. And, you know, the victim was felt like she was felt pretty vulnerable and she was, you know, but they, they did this restorative justice tribunal. It was overseen by a judge, but it had a panel of community members and their, their job was to try to try to bring justice to the situation. And so obviously they recognize, okay, the store owner needs to be compensated for damages. How are we going to do that? But another piece of it was, okay, well, how are we going to trust this kid? And part of the problem, the reason he's misbehaving is he has no constructive outlet right now. He has no way to bring value to the community. How can he bring value to the community? What he really needs is a job or some kind of gainful employment where he can feel better about himself and actually be providing value. And, but who's going to hire this guy, right? And the store owner actually stepped up and said, you know what, <clears throat> I'll hire him. I, I'll, I'll give him a job, right? And I thought, what a powerful moment there, right? So here we have a victim who is actually empowered to be part of the solution and, and help restore justice uh, for this kid as well. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the power of restorative justice is that, that you kind of come up with these um, ideas 
in context uh, about how we're going to trust this kid, how um, the the store owner is going to be compensated, and and um, how this is all going to work together. Um, so so that to me is is a better model than what we have now, which is just lock the kid up in juvie, teach him to be a hardened criminal, and in a few years we'll release him back into the wild where he will uh, do even more damage or something yeah. like that. So, but the the original question you had, I think, was from your stepfather about, well, what about people like Paul Bernard? Well, obviously, we have no problem caging predators, right? That, that, that There's nothing against libertarian principles that says that necessarily that we have to um, lock him up on his own property or something like that. We can lock him up. I, I, I've got no problem with prisons. And, and if someone's dangerous and irredeemably dangerous, you know, maybe they're a pedophile that, that has no hope of uh, reform. Well, let's keep lock those people away. Keep them away from society if they can't be trusted. I've got no issues with Who that. Who pays for that? Yeah, well, the taxpayers do, right, in this, in this model. So how, how do you get around that? Well, one, one way is to talk about this other model I talked about at the beginning, which is statelessness. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, that, that, that's... The only way to, to deal with that, I think, is private property and, and contracts. Um, and you could imagine that there would be every incentive to have some sort of detention facility. But just to keep someone there for life, I don't think anyone would want to pay for that. I don't think anyone would voluntarily pay for that. Like, I, I would deport that person to somewhere in the world where or, or maybe there will be some court sort of territory where all the criminals are. And it's someone like owns Someone yeah. owns like a big, right. you know, 10 acre farm where the murderers just live and sustain on on stuff. And uh, right. And, and listen, maybe maybe I have a great, great idea for a business where I take the these hardened criminals that are are basically ostracized from society and I figure out a way to make them productive and exploit them. OK, I'm, I mean, again, like <laughs> you, like if you want to be part of a community, you have some responsibilities to that community, I think, right? You can't just like have all the benefits, but have no accountability. And if yeah. you violated that trust, if you are a criminal, yeah, there's going to be some surveillance on you. There's going to be people watching you, looking at you, you know, seeing whether you're going to reoffend or something like that. But if you're not, yeah. then you're not. And, you know, I, and again, all this is voluntary. Like there's no, there, this isn't a state. And, and think, right now like the state could impose this and we we could there's nothing we could do about it mm. I and mean, what are you going to do just vote in a better politician well we're we're inching closer to that reality right uh, of of a surveillance state like we had bill c51 we have um you know even the tpp wanted to extend surveillance the surveillance state uh extra <laughs> like outside of our nation right globally um and and monitor our everything right and and have that in the power of one monopoly company that i can't sever ties from which is called the state so they can do this right now and they are doing this right now and they're doing it with increasing frequency and police are using you know cell phone scanners and all these other kinds of things like in a private society none of that stuff would happen you would not get away with that kind of stuff because no one would pay for it no one would buy that so yeah. um, so it, it's not clear to me how, you know, there, there's any better alternative. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I mean, this is definitely 
the one of the most difficult things to figure out in any society is what do we do with the most fringe people in that society, right? Yeah. So it's not like you and I are going to solve it in a half hour, right? right. Um, but I think the most important thing is just because we can't solve it in a half hour doesn't mean it's unsolvable, right? And yeah. the fundamental principle is that if you let people test different models, you'll find a solution over time that works best for everyone. And to contrast that with, well, we know the system right now isn't working. The, these criminals yeah. aren't getting um, rehabilitated. We're spending, right. you know, $100,000 a year per person or something absurd for some people, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and, and I think th there's a lot to be said. I think we can't, um, we can't stress enough the, the prevent, preventative aspect that uh, liberty creates, right? An environment mm -hmm. of liberty creates. And that is like right now, uh, single parenthood is, is incentivized. Like all the, all the things that you would want to bring to create a criminal are incentivized right now. Uh, that, that crappy childhood environment where dad is cut out of the picture and mom is, um, you know, dependent on the state and uh, all these things right now create the perfect environment and the perfect storm to create criminals. And so we're, we're talking about essentially what we're asking, we're, what we're doing here is trying to figure out how we would solve the problem that the state is create essentially creating right now, which is yeah. all these criminals, all these hardened criminals, like, Paul Bernardo and these kinds of things. And that's not to say that they wouldn't exist in a, in Libertopia, but there'd be far fewer of them and, you know, it'd be far less of a problem. And, and there's, there's going to be far more innovative solutions than the ones that I, I came up with off the top of my head here, but you yeah. just have to put on your, uh, on your thinking cap and think, well, how, how would I do it if I were managing one of these companies? Um, you know, yeah. and, and you could think of a thousand different ways and your competitive advantage would be on, finding the best way that's going to work the best for the least amount of money. And, yeah, and I think it's important to note again that in Libertopia, um, you know, community will be important and exist again, right? You're, right. You're, go you're not going to have the state handle everything for you. So you'll know, oh, we even talked about when we do, do an episode on childhood, it's like, you'll know if a kid in the community is getting beat by his parents, right? Like right. you'd know that because you're a tight knit community like there used to be, and it's not the state's job to handle it and all of these other things. So there is a lot more just of support of, of community, uh, of a community environment in, in, I think. So yeah, it's inherently yeah, more preventative it, as well. Exactly. And, and you could imagine all these kind of private communities or whatever having different standards, right, that that promote connectedness within the community. Um, and, you know, if if you're in a community that works really well because it's so tightly connected and everyone's looking out for itself while well, your your cost of subscribing to a, a dispute resolution organization is going to be pretty low and they're not going to have to ask you for um you know, access to, to your home or anything like that, or, you know, they're, they're not going to have to, you know, your rates are going to be lower just because of the fact that you're connected with the community. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and, and, you know, I, I'm thinking back uh, the story, I'm tr trying to think of this tribe I heard of where if someone commits a serious crime, what they do is they bring them into a circle. And again, it sounds kind of namby pamby, but they, they tell them all the good things about him and all the, all the, the the ways that he's a good person yeah. and you know, they, 
they bring them back into and, and they create some sort of healing there. Right. Yeah. Um, well, maybe you could try a community like that where people try different models invested like that. in the people in their community. Right. And when someone does something bad, it's how did we go wrong with this yeah. person? Right. Like that's how parents, you know, hopefully or would view exactly. something. And so it's like this person did something wrong. That's not them. They're not a flawed individual. They're not a horrible human being. How did we go wrong in, in raising this person to, to have them want to do something like this? Right. They're, and they're, they're looking for the good in that person that can redeem him somehow. And they're trying to help this person redeem themselves yeah. rather than simply saying, OK, we're pushing you out to the edge or we're locking you in a cage for the rest of your life or whatever. Right. I mean, yeah. that satisfies our uh, desire for revenge or something like that. I mean, we all love a good revenge movie. I mean, we loved, you know, the movie uh, John Wick. His dog got killed and he went on a revenge rampage. I mean, that's like porn for us. Right. Oh, yeah. We love that yeah. kind of stuff. and I love it. Uh, but you know, maybe there's a better way, better way than, uh, the Hollywood way or something like yeah. that. Right. Well, and also, yeah, it's like we're taking people who don't have a sense of community who feel isolated and then putting them in a cage with a thousand other people who are criminals yeah. who feel the same way. And that becomes their community, right? Like, um, so it's definitely not working now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Any so, final thoughts on, on John Wick? <laughs> well, no, no. And I mean, you know, your, your stepfather kind of asked a simple question and I gave a very long <laughs> answer. Uh, but I mean, if, if someone asked, you could simply say, look, I've got no problem locking people up who are dangerous predators and the, the focus of justice ought to be on restoring them. So, okay. For locking up Paul Bernardo, is there any way that he can gain redemption through some sort of work like it, it can he stamp enough license plates or do something um where his whole life now becomes dedicated to atoning for his crime while he's confined and while he's kept safe from society um and even and if there is well then we should figure out a way for that to happen or at least to let him try to atone and if we ever find if, if we can determine with 100%, you know, sure, surety that he won't commit another crime and that he's, that all the families are satisfied that he has atoned for his sins or something like that. Well, maybe there's a way to bring him back. You know, I doubt it in, in his case, uh, mm -hmm. that, that there's any way, but if but there's on not, the other then side, you have Carla Amalka, who was apparently, you right. know, very integral too, and who's back and living yeah. with the husband and kids, right? Um, because of you know something that was decided during the investigation however many years ago right um yeah. so it's like clearly someone can be rehabilitated or i don't know if she's committing crimes right now but it's not so it's a simple question but not right it's not actually and it, it's one of the most complex issues any society has to figure out i think yeah and and you know there's 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 also the concept of retaliatory force right so whatever force someone uses, you're justified in re retaliating with the same amount. And so, you know, you can make an argument from that logic that um, if someone murders, you can kill, kill them, right? Um, there's another principle called estoppel um, that uh, Stefan Kinsella uh, talked about in one of his papers that is kind of interesting to explore for libertarians. And that is, listen, if you 
violate someone's rights, you can't then assert a claim that no one has the right to violate you in that way. Um, mm. Right. So, cause so, so, uh, so yeah, if, if you simply want to stick with the, the same model of revenge that we have, there is, you know, libertarian theory allows for that as well. I, I personally just don't think that's very effective. Mm. Um, but you know, like, you know, if someone murders my kid, I'm, I'm going to kill him. Uh, you know, that's just the bottom line. So, uh, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I, I don't know. I, it certainly probably doesn't help society. It doesn't, doesn't solve anything, but, um, that's just what I'm going to do. And, you know, I don't think that guy has a right to say that he shouldn't die. So, so I, I can, I can sympathize with that, the revenge, um, aspect in the retaliation thing but I, I think that ideally we want institutions to deal with that a third party to deal with that specifically because we don't want things becoming an eye for an eye justice we don't want that type of vigilante justice and right now that's essentially what we have is, is something like vigilante justice you know it's, it's more codified and more you know but it, they're not seeking to do justice when you go before the courts on a criminal matter. It's simply, how are we going to punish you? Yeah. Right. That's kind of what they're figuring. Break, Did you do well, something for, wrong? And for it, breaking and how a state law you? for breaking a state law. Yeah. And you know, most of these things, you know, are, you know, we can all agree victimless crime shouldn't be prosecuted at all, but how should actual criminals uh, be prosecuted and, and dealt with? You know, that's a matter up for debate, but I think we can all agree that right now our, our system is failing miserably. It's costing the taxpayer. It's not restoring the victim. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not rehabilitating the offender in any way and bringing them into some sort of redemption where they can start to tiptoe back into society and be productive. 